Peace and love, everybody. This is Vaughan from the beautiful island of Ibiza. Long-time resident, long-time personality, I would say, from this beautiful place. And, uh, yeah, on uh, Joe's podcast, happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me into your beautiful home with the most spectacular views over the marina, uh, Botafoc. We've got ferries in the distance and, you know, yachts and you know absolute marine activity as far as the eye can see um and actually i've pretty much just hiked half of dalt villa to (laughs) to get up here because i got completely lost and went totally the wrong way and um we're actually kind of in sapenya how would you sort of describe this area yeah this is sapenya this is absolutely sapenya and uh exactly in front of the old wall and as basically old town gypsy town as you can get and we're staying in my beautiful house from my beautiful friends that have lived here for 30 years. In the middle of all of it. From beautiful Holland. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous little spot. But I gather this is quite a new neck of the woods for you in terms of um, residents on the island. So how does it sort of feel to be living in, in Sapenya? What kind of happens around here? What have you witnessed? Uh, to be, for me, to be honest, I mean, we've always had bars here for the last 40 years. We've had bars just down the road in Cardiff de la Virgin and on the port of Ibiza town. And I've always been involved with Pasha for years, but I always found it better to live in the Campo. So we've always lived basically San Carlos in the middle of the mountains and uh, after that a bit in Santalalia. And it's new from me from last summer to be in town, but it's a good change. And we like to be out partying and everything and you can no longer drive around and stuff like we used to do on a regular basis. Too much control, so there we go. How would you describe living in Sapenya? I mean, I don't, you know, I've never actually had anybody on the podcast in 165 episodes that, that live here. What's it like? It's an experience. It's, it's difficult to go out of your door without somebody asking you for something or without something really serious, something really strange. I mean, we're in the middle of the Ibiza city now and they've got chickens and little baby pigs and everything walking around. And it is quite mad, not to mention all the junkies and everything else. But it's how it goes. It is what it is. But it's beautiful. And everybody's friendly. But there is a lot of people who are down on their luck around not just here in Sapenya, but in Ibiza town in general. Surprising, which you don't see so much in Santalalia and San Carlos and that. Well, you know that, you're up there. So, you know, it's, it's weird. But it is what it is. Do you think that's kind of, like, increased in recent years? Absolutely. Yeah, because it's, the, the, it's become... I mean, this is a positive podcast but it has become a corporate island this place and a lot of the love has left it and a a lot a lot a lot of the interesting personalities have gone died whatever but it's a complete change of an island for me i have to say i mean i i still love it it's better than living in brixton but it's uh yeah it's changed that's a big horn vaughan Yes, that's one of the ferries. That's uh, <laughs> we're in Ferriesville. That's just to let you know we're right on the sea. 
I think they, they know we've arrived to uh, record this podcast. They were just uh, kind of getting us uh, off to a good blast. And I feel like, you know, this is a pretty spectacular spot to record because we can pretty much actually see the cherries of Pasha from here, which is kind of like your second home. Yeah, absolutely. You can see Pasha, you can see Leo, you can see everything from here. Uh, Chinois, Standard Hotel. I mean, we are right there. It's a great spot to be. And Pasha, yes, I, I do a blatant pug for having had been opening the Funky Room 28 years ago, having been a dancer for Pasha in Ibiza and around the world for 12, 13 years prior to that, from 1983. Um, this, this coming Saturday, we open the Funky Room, reopen it again in Pasha. This will be its 28th year of existence. 25 years open, two years closed for the COVID, but uh, anybody's welcome to come, so please come. It still hasn't changed from day one of opening. It's all about happiness, dancing and love. I'm surprised you haven't sort of installed like a zip line, really, from your balcony to sort of the the front door. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not there that often. I was there the other day for the anniversary. That was my first time to Pasha this year, and it was actually great. The The 50th anniversary of Pasha in Ibiza where they bring in all the, well, all the old ones who'd been going there for years and all the, the VIPs and everything from Ibiza. And it was actually a great party, I have to say. It was good. Talk to me about how the Funky Room came to be. I mean, you know, what's the story behind that? Like, when did it first begin? What was your relationship with the people that kind of started Pasha? Well, the thing is, I came to Ibiza in 1982 to visit a girlfriend. I mean... It's always been about visiting girls and girls in my life. And um, this happened to be a black Rasta Jamaican chick. And I'm coming from London. And we used to make all the time great big parties in London and everything. And it was always funny in my life that was always other black guys that always made us problems. And I really, and I trained to be a social worker and a teacher. And I got so fed up with the life and people's little jealous minds and everything. When I came here, I realised, wait a minute, Vaughan, there was literally about five black people on this whole island, and you could be exactly who you wanted to be. So, 1983, I came back with a big motorbike uh, through Europe, came over here, and every club on this island, which at that time were the best clubs in the world, Pasha, Amnesia and Coup, all offered me jobs dancing. And I just thought Pasha was, at the time, it was the most glitzy the best club in the world back in the day was Amnesia, but the best, most glitzy club was Pasha. And uh, I started dancing on the podiums in Pasha from 1983, and every winter we would literally go everywhere dancing, the best dancers, we just got demanded to go everywhere, private jets, helicopters, all the shit like that. Um, lots of drugs, lots of chicks, lots of party, jet set, absolute jet set. and. I loved it and we did, yeah, 13 years of that. But then, and every club had its own resident DJ, which was the beauty of here. In Pasha it was PP, who in fact is still working with me in the funky room in Pasha. But uh, he was the resident of Pasha, Alfredo was the ab- resident of Amnesia, Cesar was the resident of Coup, and every music was the Balearic beat the DJs played the Balearic music, their music. And then all the promoters started coming and bringing in different DJs, different DJs. And me personally, I can't dance to music I don't like. 
So one day I stood on the podium and the funky room was an upstairs chill-out room. And I asked the owners of, of Pasha, Petey and Ricardo, who were good friends of mine because it was a beautiful family club, uh, can we do a deal? And we go up there and I open a room. And they're like, yes. And that's when I first opened it with my partner from the rock bar, Nick, who's unfortunately died, and uh, started the funky room, called it the funky room and opened it with the name of my, my thing to the DJs was play music for the girls play music for the girls and have all the girls dancing and we will have the best club and honestly for every night for I don't know for the first 15 years it was the best room on this island it still is but it was way and above the best room with every VIP every person every influential person come in and I've kept to my main DJs none of them really famous and but you know it's funny if you have a club and you so you can say to your DJs wait a minute just want to introduce you to somebody here while you're passing him a joint and it's Dr Dre you know and things like that this is what we did in the funky room we had JK Jamiroquai playing all his number one tunes first time ever in the funky room like this and we've had a lot of big things going on but we're not allowed to name drop so we won't drop anymore but we've done some heavy stuff there and the, the reality is yeah here we are 28 years down the line and we're still doing it on Saturday nights Saturday nights only because I can't do every night <laughs> well not at 64 but um, you look like you're uh, still going strong to be fair after all that action no, we're absolutely still going strong we, well we just met in a party in the beautiful CBBC branch in Santa Lalia, which is a stunning bar restaurant and me and my associates the Funky Aura boys Hayden and Sunny just did a party there we are like I said we're opening the funky room me personally opening the funky room this Saturday in Pasha and then on Sunday the Funky Aura boys we are doing a big party in Las Dalias on Saturday night on Sunday night and afternoon actually with John Satrincha playing as well as um, Scott Gray, Willie Graff and Ronsky. And it's going to be a great party as well. I'm really looking forward to that because it's kind of on my doorstep. But let's go back a few steps here because obviously you started saying that, you know, this all began for you when people, you know, across the whole island invited you to dance in their club. So, you know, what was that like? You know, how old were you then? And what, you know, what was it about dancing in clubs that kind of, you know, obviously allowed you to kind of live that lifestyle? Well, I'm a guy that's been blagging it to go into clubs from when I was 14 years old. And, you know, when, when we were young, uh, we, we used to go to the WAG and Titanics and all these London clubs way before you could get in. But we had so much talk and we were always with beautiful girls that actually a lot of the clubs employed us to bring people into them like this. And dancing was my thing. I mean, when we were young, we didn't take drugs. We didn't do, we didn't even smoke dope. We just danced, danced and girls, that was all we were into. And uh, when I came here, it was at, one of the biggest problems in England was expressing yourself um, fashion-wise. There was always like a, a, a thing against dressing strange ways. And when I came here, I realised you can just do what the fuck you want. I'm not allowed to swear on it. And, uh, and yeah, do what the fuck you want. And then I could just express myself and I brought a lot of better dancers than me over here but they couldn't express themselves 
you'd have to be that person to express yourself on the podium and stuff and I just got it and I just had it and um, and I absolutely loved it and like I said from then on people would be in the crowd I mean I'd be dancing and you'd have Jack Nicholson Mick Jagger you'd have all these guys behind you in a t- tiny VIP now it's all big VIPs everywhere but without any VIPs just rich motherfuckers which don't interest me but uh in the day, it, it was full of character. It was full of individuals. I used to come into town and I used to think, where have these fucking people come from? How did they get on a boat or a plane and get here? Because they were lunatics. But now that's sadly gone. And it really has sadly gone. I mean, you've got to think, when we started dancing, when I started dancing, my I had we had the rock bar in town and which was one of the most famous bars on the island. Well, it was probably the most famous bar on the island. And uh, I, my remit to Pasha was to be there for half past two in the morning. And obviously dressed as you dress, because that's why we took people to dance, because they were individuals. And um, there would be nobody in the clubs. There'd be nobody in the clubs in Ibiza at half past two. People would come to the clubs. Three o'clock, they'd start dribbling in. But now they're queuing up at 11 o'clock which is why half the bars aren't working and stuff and it's it's gone into the like I said it's gone into a corporate business either you can go with it or you you flow with it but whatever you know you will never see me in the funky room before half past one two o'clock even now it's no chance yeah makes no sense so where did this amazing, outlandish dress sense come from? You say you like to express yourself, but like, is this something that's cultivated through the years of you being kind of, you know, in the forefront of Pasha, or is it something that came from your heritage? Uh, it, the the thing for me is, I mean, I've lived not just here a colourful life, I've lived my whole life a colourful life. I mean, I was dumped on a London hospital, Chelsea hospital doorstep as a baby, and uh, then... About one and a half years later, I get adopted by white parents. I have two black brothers. I have a 10-year-old, 10-year younger sister than me. And none of us are related. And we lived in the middle of the country in England. I grew up going to Henley Regatta, Royal Ascot, all this. My dad was one of the foremost sculptors in England. My mum was an artist. And we just grew up in the nuttiest life like that and I'm exactly what I'd expect my brothers and that are boring but I'm exactly what I'd expect to come out of my upbringing and on the clothes front and everything it's always been don't look at other people people don't understand you know back in the 80s here if you got a newspaper it was two or three days old you couldn't get at the newspaper for today obviously there was no cell phones and all this and people always say to me Vaughan oh you must have seen that program or you must have know that person and you think fuck I don't know and they think you're trying to be cool but the reality is we didn't have contact with the outside world we'd, we'd watch we'd go to one bar to watch matches of football and stuff but outside of that it was all inside so Everybody made their own fashion. Everybody did their own thing. We weren't influenced. We were influencers. And absolutely, we were influencers. The things we've done way before the game, you just can't believe. And then people copy you. And you think, wait a minute, that came from us. And not just me. There was a lot of nutty people here. And, yeah, now the dancers in all the clubs go to the clubs at 
10 o'clock or whatever, drink their fucking yogurts and sandwiches and change into Monday's clothes or Tuesday's clothes. And anybody can disagree with that, but it's true. And uh, it's so boring where we used to come in there dressed like lunatics, sniffing tons of cocaine, smoking big fat joints and drinking champagne. And that's the life. And unfortunately, that's not the same anymore. But it's the truth. And what brought you here originally? Yeah, like I said, my Jamaican ex-girlfriend came over to visit her sister who was living with a little Spanish guy here. And it must I can't remember if it was 82 or 83, but it was so funny because she was being really boring and I'd just come for a, for a week and me and my mate, we'd got arrested at Gatwick Airport in our red Porsche because the police weren't happy with us and he was looking for a chick who was supposed to be arriving and I was waiting to go and of course they thought we were thieving like that and it ended up in a massive fight and us getting dragged out of the airport and all this shit was just so funny then my plane gets delayed so I still managed to get the flight and then I come here and I'm with these Spanish guys and this girl and they think I'm some boring guy like that I'm trying to be sensible and of course you have the language barrier and just I think it was the night before I was going there like come on come out with us and uh and I mean I'd, it just blew my mind. I mean, I'm a party guy. We'd been partying our, all, our whole lives. But blatantly honest, and everybody lies about all these things, but say this was 1982, I'd never seen a line of coke in real life, in, in my life. And there they are. One of these guys was a carpenter. One of them was a windsurfer. And the other one was a mechanic. And there they are, giving me lines of coke. Like that, it wasn't glamorous like it's supposed to be, you know, the jet set drug and everything. And then we just went to all these clubs, and I'd never seen. And we did the full round, you know. We went to Pasha, we went to Amnesia, we went to Coup, we went to Glories, which was another beautiful club. And this is when you could be clubbing till the next day. You didn't have to go home. You could just continue like that. And it, it was just mind blowing, and the characters and the people, and there was no control here. The, you know, the police used to be partying. There was no such things as breathalysers. There was none of this. There was literally no control. You could go anywhere as crazy as you were. And there was no problems. And it was beautiful. It was stunningly beautiful. And I'm glad that I'm the age I am. Because I'm glad that I've lived the life I've lived. Because, like you know, like I said, I, I, I have four children... Uh, ranging from 39 years old to 11 years old and the older ones three of which are born here they're not interested in going out too much here they'll go out sometimes but they'd rather do private parties in the houses and everything because they've been buying with the old man since they're 15 and they've seen it as it was yeah. you've worn them out Vaughan no it's just they've seen it as in all its beauty and it's not beautiful standing in a queue for two hours to go into a club and then what? Go into a fucking club and stand there with your phone looking at a DJ and filming a DJ just so that everybody back home, wherever that might be in the world, can see that you've been to Pasher Amnesia, high, priv well, privilege isn't even open anymore or whatever, but it is what it is, yeah. What do you think about this phone phenomenon? Because, I mean, it's just really not a pleasant experience. I mean, I was in, in Mallorca at the Mallorca Live Festival at the weekend and, you know, every time the Chemical Brothers like a good visual came on or something dramatic happened yeah, I couldn't even see the stage because yeah. all I could just see were these screens 
I think it's a very, very sad situation. And I don't, for example, in the funky room, you can take a photo, but you're not allowed to video. And if you say, well, they're videoing downstairs, my reply to that is go fucking downstairs. And I'm not interested. And for me, this world is going backwards. Technology is not actually helping people. Like I told you before, there's more people on the streets here in Ibiza than ever because what the technology's taken away is love and heart. And that anybody can say, yeah, I'm an old hippie, which I'm not. I'm just a realist of how the life is now. And, and it's a sad reflection. I mean, why do you go, why do you queue up to go in a club at 11 o'clock or even half past 10 when the doors don't open at 12, your headline DJ doesn't come on till 2 and the drinks are the most expensive you can get? Why do you do that? Oh, because you get the cheapest ticket online. That's a pathetic, really pathetic situation. This is why we're doing parties in Las Dalias, in Acacia and everything, because we're bringing in top-name DJs such as Jonathan Satrincha, Scott Gray, Willie Graff, all these guys, and you can buy tickets online for €15 and pay at the door 20 not 70 and 100 and shit. And, And it's much more intimate and much more beautiful, and that's it. And normally I have a big guest list for the funky room because I'm I'm aware that the people that I want to attract are not that small-minded. They're not going to play. They don't mind if they spend 500 euros on drink, but they're not going to pay 70, 80, 100 euros to get into a club. Makes no sense. Mm. What, I mean, you know, you've been here for 40 years and you must have witnessed, other than the increasing prices of uh, of club entry, I mean, what are the biggest changes you've seen in four decades the biggest changes I've seen in four decades was last night I was on the port here and you know we had the rock first we had the rock bar just round the corner here in Kaya de the Virgin then we had it in Ibiza port for years and at that time Ibiza port was the best port in the world for action for people for boats for everything then they tried to turn it into jet set port for the super yachts and everything of course you got the war in ukraine and no fucking super yachts come here and interestingly enough the same super yachts that come here like lady mora and that have been coming here for 40 years it's another fact people neglect you know and what they've done is killed the port and and it's a shadow of what it used to and the funniest thing is now all of the bars that used to be bar stools and everything outside and people laughing and taking loads of drugs now they're all sofas and look out to sea but the slight problem with that is all the transmed ferries park along the the port so you can't even see the fucking sea and i mean it's just sad yeah and what's changed here Everything, every price of renting every place has gone. We're full of five-star hotels. When I came to Ibiza, there were two five-star hotels and Pike's Hotel. Tony Pike was one of my best friends in the world. And, you know, I was there when they were uh, filming Club Tropicano with Wham. I was at Freddie Mercury's birthday and all this shit. And you only went into the five-stars because you couldn't get into Pike's. And that was full of stars, you know what I mean? And now... There's fucking five-star hotels every five minutes. There's five-star hotels in family resorts, Escanar, San Antonio, Calayonga. It's ridiculous. And the biggest problem with the five-star, 90% of them is five-star hotels, but not five-star service. 
and this island, you know, I, I'm going to be positive about this, but we're talking to a guy who's half moved to beautiful Menorca, but we're not going to talk about that because we don't want to ruin that place. And, uh, you know, I'm all about style and cool. And unfortunately here now is all about corporate and money. And that's the reality. And, you know, that it's nothing to do with age. It's nothing to do with anything. It's to do with solid facts. You know, it is a reality. Look, if you want to park in Ibiza town, it's five euros an hour. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous. Before you'd park, you'd leave your car for a couple of days while you're park, park, parting. But now what's that going to cost you? 300 euros, you know what I mean? It's, it's just ridiculous. That's why I ended up walking about 59 miles up a mountain to get here because I was like, oh, I'm just going to stick it in that free little thing through the tunnel and ended up um, getting a little bit lost. But it was um, it was an adventure and I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. Talk to us about the rock bar because, I mean, that was a place that I remember going to in my sort of early 20s to, um, yeah, kind of soak up a bit of the vibe, as you said, before going to Pasha or wherever I was off to. Yeah. And I feel like it would be very intriguing to hear the kind of background story of that place, seeing as you were kind of one of the linchpins of it. Yeah, I mean, the reality is the rock bar started in Caia de la Virgin, which, funnily enough, it's the only building that's been knocked down in Caia de la Virgin. It's the original rock bar. It's now a car parking space. And look, considering that you can only drive little cars up there, it's quite funny that's that. Then we, we moved to the end of the port of Ibiza into the now, what is a restaurant bar? I can't remember what it's called. It used to be called Macau, and I don't know what it's called now. And then we moved to where the current rock bar is still called The Rock. Uh, I mean, the guys, they're all right, but unfortunately, I mean, it was started by Sid and Nick, and I used to go past there every day and bring all, in all these girls and we are always smoking joints and partying. Then I put, always used to put all the people on the guest list to come into Pasha. And then when it was moving buildings, they asked me if I wanted to become partners with them. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And then eventually Sid left and then it was just me and Nick. And unfortunately Nick dropped dead. And unfortunately, and I don't care here who hears this because it's the truth, his girlfriend, and I'm not mentioning names, who used to work for us behind the bar, uh, inherited everything because I never signed anything. And they basically, like I said, from those days, this was like 10 years ago, maybe more, uh, that the heart started going out of here where people used to rip you off before your word was your word. My word is still my word. But now it's all about the cash. And, uh, yeah then since then the rock, rock bar's never going to be like it was but yeah I mean it was I, I, I don't want to drop names because it's ridiculous but we had a lot of famous friends we didn't just take pictures with people we took people out we partied with people you know we, we did crazy things you know and people became good friends of us and you know I was good friends with a lot of racing drivers being a lot VIP to racing tracks and everything, both motorbikes, cars, everything. A lot of the top models, a lot of fashion shows, a lot of things. Because we were just friendly, nice guys. And obviously with the music, even more like that. And uh, yeah, it's just been funny. And we're still doing it. We're still having a good time. You say that Nick dropped dead. I mean, what happened to him? Unfortunately, like a lot of my friends here, too much drugs. It's as simple as that, you know. If you, I, I stopped taking coke 
um, yeah, like 24 years ago, like this. And I'm not, uh, I'm not a hypocrite. I'll chop lines all day. I'll offer anybody, but I stopped taking because I knew I nearly killed myself. And I, and it's funny because only in Ibiza you can be in a hospital and the doctors and the nurses have taken lines with you. And, you're like, and they're like, you know, Vaughan, you need to control yourself. And I thought, fuck, I can't control myself. There's no such thing as one line. I'm like, no, it doesn't work. And so I just stopped. Like that, overnight, I just completely stopped. But, you know, it is what it is. But some people can't. You know, if you don't have that power and it's you can't... All this going to rehab and all that shit, it's all bullshit. Because it, it has to come from your heart. And if it doesn't, you're always going to go back. Every single junkie and every single drug addict knows that. And it has to come from you. People can advise you. People can put you in a situation for a time. But once you're out of that time, especially in a place like Ibiza, you're back in, into the lion's den. And it's all down to you, you know. So, so yeah. So, I mean, a lot of my good friends died from taking too much. And a lot of them killed themselves from taking too much. You know, committed suicide or whatever, the same shit, yeah. It's a hard life, it's like, it is what it is. But, you know, you can't, I'm not going to change anybody. There's no point in trying to change anybody, you do what you want to do. How is that? You, mean, you must have arrived here at like 24. If you're 64 now, you've been here for 40 years. You said that Ibiza brought this very first, you know, drug-taking experience into your world. You know, how did that sort of change the trajectory of your life? No, I mean, for me, it was great. One of my biggest rules about drugs is you can't take drugs to make a shit time good. You can take drugs to make a great time greater. And that's it. You know, and unfortunately now, not only are people taking shit drugs, they're taking shit drugs in shit times, which is why more people, they keep it quiet here, but more people than ever are dying here on a daily basis on this island, and last year more than ever. And it's incredible, you know, but because it's corporate business, they try to keep everything quiet. But I know for a fact, you know, it's a reality. And, you know, when you start giving people fet and fentanyl and shit like this and mixing it up with the so-called coke, it's a joke. And, I mean, quite honestly, half of the drugs now are on this island are a joke. And a lot of my old friends were big-time dealers, and the old drugs were good drugs. Well, I mean, we've seen series like White Lines alluding to these kind of drug drops on a, like a, you know, like a anchor line on a boat out at sea. I mean, I've always wondered. I mean, obviously, there's a million stories we could all tell from our own personal experiences. But where do you think, you know, I mean, there has to be some way that all these drugs obviously get here through unfettered and un kind of um, filtered kind of ways of access. But I wonder if you have any kind of... <laughs> Anything you can tell us without getting your legs chopped off? Some of my, no, no, I mean, um, some of my best friends were some of the biggest drug dealers here. But in the days before, I mean, it was bribes and it was bringing, you know, big quantities of high quality drugs here and then not chopping the bits out of them, which they do now. They just, if there are any good drugs here, they chop the shit out of it and it becomes not good drugs like that. And now it's all, you know, for me, two are penny gangsters. Before it was quality drug dealers. You know, if you go back to people like Howard Marks, who was one of our best friends and stuff like this, 
and Ralph, God bless him, was one of my best friends ever, and he's the one who financed the Manumission Motel and everything. And, uh, you know, this was quality drug dealers with quality drugs and style. It's all about style. Life should be about style. But, you know, I'm only mentioning those names because they're dead. So no, nobody could jump on them, and I'm not talking about the live gangsters that we know, but a lot of them have given up dealing with Ibiza because they don't want to bring shit here and then have it trodden on to the extent that it's not only it's shit, but it's dangerous. And it comes back for you. If you're going to be a good drug dealer, it's because you're selling good drugs. Interesting. I mean, I have so much respect for Howard Marks specifically. I mean, he's been on this podcast as well. And, you know, I met him three times, actually. I interviewed him for, for various different projects. And I just think that anyone has that, you know, bigger pair of balls to fly that quantity of drugs, you know, un, without, you know, so much fear, I suppose. I mean, he obviously experienced some level of, like, concern, but I guess not enough to stop him from doing what he did. I mean, when you watch the film and you see really what he got up to, I just think he was just one of the the gods, really, of, like, you know, that kind of rebellious, uncaring... Uh, he was a beautiful man. He's a beautiful person, and he's just genuine. To be good, you've got to be genuine. You've got to think you're just in a business, but you don't think it's illegal. In your own heart, you don't think it's illegal. And then... You've just got to be that nice person. And by the way, whoever I lent my copy of Mr Nice that was signed to me by Howard, can they one day give it back to me because I've forgotten who I lent it to like that. And I only remember that because it's down here in the in the bookshelf from these guys. And I'm like, yeah, who the fuck took mine? All I remember is I lent it to somebody years ago and said, make sure you give it back to me. But that's just a typical attitude. <laughs> and, um, yeah, no... Howard was just a nice person. I remember being on planes with Howard when you can't smoke. And the, wait, the, the stewardess said, oh, yeah, it's all right, you can smoke joints. Yeah, like that, on the back of planes. Just ridiculous because so many people had so much respect for him. It was beautiful. What is your experience, if you're willing to go there to talk about, you know, you've obviously got this little um, situation going on with your voice. Like, how, how are you kind of feeling about that right now? Well, I mean, I'm, yeah, sorry, everybody, my voice is bad because, like now, four years ago, I got diagnosed with uh, vocal cord cancer um, after smoking joints, cocaine and heroin for a long time, um, especially joints for 40 years, the coke and the heroin, we stopped, but coke, for, uh, joints for 40 years, and... Um, we live that life, so we expect to get the payback. So I wasn't that surprised when I came to the hospital and my voice was fucked up. They said, you got a tumour. And that my then-girlfriend, a Spanish chick, just collapsed in the hospital. You bring a girl to help you, and she collapsed like that. And I just took it, and I didn't tell the kids until actually I went in for a biop, and they just gave me straight a nine-hour laser operation. And that was it. And since then, it's been the old camera down the nose, first every week, then every month, now every three months. And I've been a lot in Menorca and having the tests there. And um, obviously, I gave up smoking completely. And um, again, I'm not going to be a hypocrite, so I'm not going to lecture all my kids smoke dope and stuff for the older ones. And um, I just, you know, it gives you, it gives you a, a, maybe a new lease of life. I, you appreciate things more 
but I haven't turned into a monk or anything. So, um, yeah, let's hope that it's, it stays okay. But I'm a complete realist. When it's time to go, it's time to go. It's, it's as simple as that. You said something quite telling earlier. You said that when you arrived here, there was literally five black people on the island. Talk to me about that, because I think that's kind of like... I, I do feel like, you know, this is called the White Island and like yeah. there could be a reason behind that other than just the, the fact that we see whitewashed walls wherever we go with the architecture. No, it's, it's really funny because the other day, like last week, for like three days, there's more black people here in Ibiza town than I've ever fucking seen in the whole time I've been here. Literally, you're in Vara del Rey by the standard and all that. And nearly every table was middle-aged black people like this so I was in Pirata my mate's bar and there's this black couple and uh, the girl went to the toilet and I went to the guy and I could hear they were American and I'm like listen man you've got to tell me because it's been like three or four days I've never seen so many black people here and he's like yeah man we've all come on this jazz cruises from they've all come to Barcelona and come on these jazz cruises seven day jazz cruises where they're all stopping in Ibiza for one day or two then going to Alicante then going to Lisbon and and, and he said 90% of every cruise ship is full of black people mostly from the America from America and the Caribbean and I thought that was classic and for me when I came here you know I, I was living in Ladbroke Grove and that and we were making parties and we made the best house parties at a time in London and you know we had top DJs at the time playing and stuff and I'm not going to drop names because they won't want everybody to know but some of the most famous headlining DJs in the world now and uh, and um, we always got trouble from other black guys was always you know whether it was from Vauxhall or whether it's from Bristol or whatever it didn't matter because we had all the hottest chicks in the party and there'd always be some fuckers that come down and start making us trouble and it just got on my nerves and like I said because of my upbringing and everything I trained to be a social worker and a teacher and the only job I've really done in my life was working one and a half years in Oxford setting up um, youth clubs um uh, holiday things and everything and, and being a big influence but uh, it drains you you know what I mean and uh, yeah, I thought you just can't change people so you need to get yourself in an environment where you love yourself and I always say to people and this is going to piss people off but you know all of the shit with Black Lives Matter you know if anybody especially us as black people, if you do your homework, and even if you go back to slavery days, the most black people in this world are killed by other black people. And people want to remember that, but they forget that. If you go to America, which is the most racist place on earth, I'd say, one of them, certainly, and segregated like you can't believe, and I've been there loads. And and you don't see in the paper, and you'll see in the local paper, this nigger's killed that nigger, but you won't see it on international news. It doesn't matter. Like that bit, if a white person kills a black person or a black person kills a white person, it's all bad. And now London's getting like that. Just so people start to realise how many black people are killing other black people in London and Bristol and Birmingham and all these places. You know. But we neglect to mention that. We neglect it. I'm gonna, everybody's going to hate me, but check your history, boys. Check your history, girls. Check how many tribes in Africa sold other black 
lesser tribes to the white people to send to England and America and everything. People forget all that side of the things, and that's the reality. And I, you know, when I was a black radical, I was in Ethiopia when I was 19, and you know, I was a proper Haile Selassie radical Negro, as they say, and things have changed. Why do you think this island attracts so few black people? What's your theory on it? You've been here for 40 years, more than most people that I get to chat to on here. Because I don't care if you come in a place, say I'm I'm looking for a crazy black guy or light-skinned guy, whatever you want to call me, with locks and crazy clothes because I used to be crazy and I'm not really now. And I don't care. It's just a description. But you do that in Brixton. You know, you go and say, oh, I'm looking for this black guy with crazy clothes on with locks. Well, you can't say that. You can't say anything anymore. I believe you can say whatever you want, anytime you want. If you're not saying it in a bad way, then why can't you describe people as they are? You know, and also I think you should be proud to be black. There's all this nonsense about, you know, Afro-Caribbean, African-American. The fuck, we're Africans. Let's get it right. Everybody, white people as well, everybody comes from Africa. Let's get it right. Look in the Bible. Look everywhere. Everybody comes from Africa. Jesus was black. Fuck's sake. Yeah. Do you doubt that? I don't I don't know. I never doubt it. Never doubt it. I've never really thought about it. I'm not a religious it's person, obvious. but it's good to hear your opinion. It's obvious. It's got to be. <laughs> I um, would love to hear you were saying that you know in the funky room say one more thing which people don't know you know England's famous for the Roman roads and everything do you know that the emperor or not the emperor but the person in charge of the Romans in England was a black guy yeah well he was and also the richest person ever in this world back in the day in comparison even with who you've got here was a black guy I can't remember the name, but I've studied it all, and it's a reality. And anybody can get on their computer and they can check it. I don't talk bullshit. It's the truth. Like that. Let's Just talk about the, um, the the origin of Balearic music. You were saying that you don't like dancing to music that doesn't turn you on and doesn't inspire, you know, your creativity and your choreography, whatever. But I'm interested in, you know, you said that that's kind of what led to you perhaps, you know, getting the funky room and wanting to have your own little space and, you know, curating, you know, the musicality of that particular area. What, you know, how did you see the birth of that kind of music on the island 40 years ago? Well, uh, no, I mean, I think, uh, you know, also the people tend to forget, I mean, um, when the resident DJ and Pasha is Pipi, and although he's been here a long time, he's actually Italian. He's not from here. Alfredo is Argentinian. He's not from here. And Cesar is Spanish. Yeah, I think, yeah, he is. But, you know, they had their own feeling. They had that. The difference is they played music for the crowd. They didn't just play music for themselves. So they played for me to dance. And any individual dancer that danced could, the DJs would play the music that they knew you'd like to dance to because the people used to come into the clubs, they didn't come in to watch the DJs. They came in to watch the dancers and the whole show. And that was it. And to enjoy themselves and party. But it was all about 
the visuals and everything. And now it's all aimed towards the DJ. And like we said before, you know, even when they advertise, you put on Ibiza Global TV or Club TV or whatever it is now, and what do you see all the time? You see a stupid DJ standing there touching a hundred knobs. Everybody who's DJed and everything knows you don't need to touch a hundred knobs when you're playing your set and everything. Or you're watching a crowd with their phones standing there shaking their heads, filming them, all dressed in jeans and T-shirts, incidentally. And it's pathetic. I'm sorry, it's pathetic. And then you go in the petrol stations here and they've got that on a live screen advertising Ibiza. Oh, let's go to Ibiza and stand in front of a DJ. What, why? If someone said to you, what is, you know, what is the description of Balearic music? How would you encapsulate what Balearic music is made up of? What genre of music is that to you? Well, it was. It was its own genre. Before, it was just such a mix-up. It was so eclectic. It was everything. And it was a lot of... It wasn't hippie music, but it was it was peace and love and interest in and get the people going music. And now, there is no Balearic music now. It's gone. Until John comes back next weekend, or this weekend. Well, yeah, John, let's see. I mean, you know, John, I like John's music. Let's see, let's hope he's on it now because he's been away for a while and uh let's see and yeah 100 percent. let's hope that we'll get going and we have great djs here but they're great djs for playing music to make people dance but that's uh that seems to be the narrowest of like tunnels here now really because now it's all about big name djs and I'm sorry, but you go in the big clubs, are people dancing? That's a yes or no question. For me, it's a big fuck off no. They are just standing there, shaking their heads, which, why are you being in a club? And you know, if, even if you go back to the days of manumission and everything, and bearing in mind, Mike and Claire from manumission, God bless you, are still my best friends in the world. And, uh, you know, they're the godparents of one of my kids. I'm the godfather of their three kids. And they'd have 10,000 people a night in coup first, then at privilege as it changed to, dancing. Not fucking standing there filming. You know, and to put it into perspective, in the old days, in all of the clubs, they had an in-house photographer. And that was it. And if any of the v- if you wanted to take a picture with any VIP, anything, you'd have to ask the inner house photographer who would ask the person in question. And it was a yes or no situation like that. And no, nobody went into any of the clubs with a camera. Nobody went out with a camera. Why would you go out with a camera? It's just, it's nonsensical. I remember we used to have those like throwaway cameras. You had like 30 shots and yeah. it was just like a bit of a, a surprise when you got your reel back like yeah. a week or two later because you actually probably never really knew what you'd actually even taken a photo of on a night like that. Yeah. No, when, when I go on holiday now, because I'm not a technical guy, I'm not on Facebook, I'm not on Instagram, I'm not interested because you'd never get left alone. But when we go skiing or we take the kids wherever and everything throughout the years I buy a throwaway camera and it's not just because you don't remember it's because you've got the shittiest pictures as well you know and everybody who's 
I don't know, 40 plus, must remember, you know, you bring your girlfriend or your boyfriend to to meet your parents. And the first thing they do is bring out the old photo albums with all the most embarrassing pictures in the world. And that was beautiful. And now everybody's doctored every fucking picture. And all these people run around thinking they look like something that they don't look like. And then you wonder why there's all these assaults and everything when everybody's dating on the internet. And then you, I never have and I never will. And then you go and meet some chick or some guy and he looks nothing like the picture. And it's a sad situation for me. I love the most embarrassing pictures. They're beautiful. They really are. Well, let me just check who's phoning me because it could be a dealer. No, no, no dealers. It's 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 Jack, my my social media guy. So, I mean, obviously, Jose Padilla was one of the kind of, you know, godfathers of the Balearic sound. And I, I, I'd love to hear your experience of, you know, crafting his sound and perhaps any encounters that you had with him. I mean, Jose, back in the day, like I said, you could travel everywhere on this island out of your nut. I was always with big motorbikes, big cars. I'm a big Range Rover man. And there was no police there was no controls no everything anything so you'd we'd all go to cafe del mar we'd all go to all of these places you know all these beautiful places i'll mention aura was great and it's closed down and it's basically a for sale derelict building kilometer five was great and it's basically a derelict building um naive was great and it's basically a derelict building and all these places can no longer exist because there's so much control on the roads that people don't want to go to them and because there's so much competition and everything's just gone up but jose was a great guy and back in the day cafe del mar was magical it was absolutely magical and the music the djs played the music for the places and the people now they don't now they just play the music and that's it. In my mind, music's already a big word because you won't catch me in any of them because they're not, honestly, if I turn on the television and and it is not about me being an older guy, it's about reality that you go through these global radio or whatever and you listen to one DJ and another, it's all the fucking same. I'm like, I, have they changed the track? You know, it's all the same. And you need to play music with character and you need to get girls dancing in a nightclub. That's what it's about. Talk to us about Jose and the experiences that you had with him personally. I mean, what was he like? He's sadly no longer with us, but he's just one of those legends. Like a lot of the legends, he's gone. I mean, Jose was just a great character. He's another one that was just a laid back, nice, genuine person and played music with his heart. And that you can say about Alfredo, you know, you could say about all of these guys and, you know, and and people that were genuine, like we were talking about Tony Pike, he was genuine. And it's a sad situation that, you know, next week I'm going to go and visit Alfredo in the fucking residencia here. You shouldn't be there. Tony Pike shouldn't have died in the old people's home. It's wrong. You know, these are characters that made Ibiza and stuff and it's a sad situation where people just don't give a fuck anymore 
and it breaks my heart to be honest and yeah when we go back to the the well pike situation uh, thank you for throwing my son out on his birthday the other night appreciate that i told him not to go but he went and uh yeah unfortunately they did not do right by Tony Pike who like I said was a great friend from me and Mike and Claire are my best friends in the world and I will never step foot in bikes again because it's like a typical thing of people trying to make money off the history of things don't make money off the history of other people make money from your own history you know what I mean and and that's it and yeah it's a sad situation and Jose was a beautiful person. Alfredo's a beautiful person. Tony Pike was a beautiful person. A lot of the interesting... I mean, you know, a lot of the old characters have died. A lot of them have gone. But can somebody show me some replacements? You know, I, I get from my horrible haters that I'm washed up and finished and whatever. But that makes me laugh because I still get treated perfectly everywhere I go. And can you show me some interesting up-and-coming characters that are here to compare with the characters before because I'm not seeing them. I wish I could, but I'm not. And that that's sad. And unfortunately, a lot of the younger people here now are leaving, especially a lot of the ones that are born here and grown up here. They're leaving the island because it's too, it's too set in its ways. For them, it's too much about everybody kissing the ass of rich people. If I can understand you want to take fame, pe photos and stuff of celebs and all that, but now people are just taking people because they're spending ridiculously shit amounts of money on bottles of whatever, in what, whether it's in Ocean Beach, whether it's in Nikki Beach, whether it's in Ushuaia or whatever. It's pathetic. You know, we're taking pictures of people because they're stink, stinking rich. We're taking people of pictures of people because they're driving around in rented Ferraris and stuff. I mean, it, it's a sad situation for me. What was it that was so beautiful? You just said Alfredo, Jose, Tony Pike. What was the spirit of Ibiza that those three characters encapsulated that's memorable? The, the spirit of Ibiza was that nobody cared that you could have the richest people and the most famous people in the world with the craziest people in the world and nobody cared and nobody pulled out a camera and started taking pictures and everybody just mingled and had a good time and and that was the reality of it i mean we've we've been in crazy situations and you know i remember one time i mean i used to get flown for example from here to stringfellows to dance i'm a fucking london boy and i'm getting flown to dance in stringfellows and peter was another great character like this not to strip incidentally and and then you know i i remember when me and mike and uh, one of my sons martel and claire and the whole gang we're we're in um we've gone to a nerd concert in in london and we've just blagged it in like we do everywhere and we've you know, we're, we've taken seats from, I don't know, some shit girl band. I can't remember what it was called. Pussycat Dolls or something. And uh, and we're there smoking joints, drinking beer. You're not even allowed to smoke. And uh, we end up in one party after another. And at one stage, Justin Timberlake's crew and Farrell's crew said, what, come over to us and say, who are we? How come we've got all the chicks around us and we're partying so much and it just made me laugh you know it's like we got treated so good in everywhere but we didn't have to 
watch ourselves because we're nobody. So we could be exactly who we wanted to be. And that was the beauty of coming from Ibiza. You could be who you wanted to be. And because you came from Ibiza, you could just get away with it anywhere in this world. You could just say, oh, it's all right, he's from Ibiza or she's from Ibiza. It didn't matter. What interests me is that you talk about this upbringing of being a baby that got dumped, you know, in Chelsea and you were from a black upbringing or origin and you grew up with, well, soundingly like aristocratic white family or parents, which is a very large transition. And I think people in the modern day world would kind of carry this baggage and this trauma and it would become like a really big thing. But it feels like you kind of went in the opposite direction and you know, it became exactly who you wanted to be and kind of dropped all of that in the background and kind of like lived life to the full and that doesn't seem to have affected you in the same way. How did you offload all of that kind of upbringing, um, childhood, what people would describe, I think, these days in the kind of healing world of Ibiza as like big trauma because it kind of feels like that's such a narrative these days. No, that's the reality of the world now. We make the trauma. The reality is like... I grew up in the middle of the country in a little village next to Henley-on-Thames in England. My dad had art galleries and I literally did grow up going to Henley Regatta every year, going to Royal Ascot, doing all this shit like that. But me and my brothers, we're all like a year, year and a half apart. We're not related, but we're all black and my sister's 10 years younger. But we were the only blackies in the school, throughout our school life, in infant school, junior school, secondary school, whole school. Now. When I was training to be a social worker, you had all these radical black women saying, ah, if white people adopt black kids, they turn them white. And I'm like, wait a minute. If I'm in Brixton and I do a bit of shoplifting and I'm running away with 100 black kids, who am I? If I'm in where I grew up and I'm, you know, stealing from a shop or a farm or anything and I'm running away with 100 kids, I'm the one who gets called the next day by the headmaster. Yeah. Can Vaughan Stanford and his brothers come? Why? Because we're the only fucking black kids in the school. So we can be pointed out. So did we realise we were black from day one? Of course we did. Like this is a complete nonsense, people's mentality of how things are. It's in your soul, it's in your heart. You can't make somebody black or make somebody white. It's like you can't make a junkie stop taking drugs. It's all down to you, it's all in your heart. And that is the biggest issue with this island it's losing its heart but how did you find that piece of you because a lot of people would say oh you know I got dumped and it would just be this narrative that infiltrated every juxtaposition of their life and would influence everything that happened to them from there on in and I think you know to be able to drop that story and evolve and continue and develop and lead the life that you've led it, do- it doesn't seem to have kind of like affected you in the same way that I would imagine a lot of people in this modern day world would perhaps allow that to change the way that they've they've experienced this life. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a simple philosophy. It doesn't matter where you come from, it matters where you're going. It's as simple as that. You know, I never worried about... I I couldn't have looked for my real birth parents, but my brothers could and my sister could. My sister, I even remember going to the hospital when her mum was underage, like that. But none of my family had tried to look for their birth parents. And all I was interested in was having my own kids. So knowing where my blood is going, like I said, it doesn't matter where you come from, it matters where you're going. And that's the most important thing. 
And if we're going to finish this thing, I have got to give it a big up for Funky Room opening this Saturday, 27th, like that. Everybody can come and we have a big guest list, so let me know if you want to be on the list. Same thing said for uh, Last Alias on Sunday, Funky Aura, we're going to be kicking it. Garden first, club later. Everybody's welcome. And we love everybody. And we still love Ibiza, but it's uh, my heart's going towards Menorca. <laughs> this is a good place to finish but lastly I mean this is a big weekend for you as you've said Saturday night you've got the Pasha Funky Room opening Sunday you've got the um, Funky Aura or Aura Funky Night Funky Aura, funky. Funky aura. I'm going to get it right in a minute um, what is it that still keeps you kind of motivated to keep doing those kinds of parties like 40 years down the line <laughs> it's a simple thing I want to have a good time you know, if nobody else is going to give me a good time, I've got to give myself a good time. That was that was the policy from the beginning of the funky room, and it's still the same. You know, just because you get older doesn't mean you can't dance. It doesn't mean you can't be cool. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy yourself. You know, it's always... If I always look, when you look at all these old people that come on the old people's holidays, whether it's from Spain, the mainland, or from England, you know, have you, have you got to turn an age when you've got to start dressing like this and acting like that? It's all bullshit. You know, it's, it's like... It, it just doesn't matter. What you've got to do is just enjoy your life while you can enjoy it and make the most of it. Well, what would you say to people that maybe kind of, you know, pack all this stuff in their suitcase and they kind of, you know, want to go out, you know, looking a little bit outlandish and maybe in a way that they don't dare to dress back home? I think we've all had those moments, including me, where you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, my God, I can't go out in that. And clearly you don't have that problem. So I'd just love to end on maybe on a piece of advice you could give people. For me, it's it's be yourself. I mean, I've been advised, especially now I've had lots of problems with with like I said, my youngest child and I should go to court dressed like this and dressed like that. And you know what? I'm, fuck it. I'll go dressed by myself. I know I'm a good person and I know I'm a nice guy and my older kids will vouch and all my godchildren and all my friends and all you like haters listen that they will always vouch for me as being a nice guy. Not an angel, but a nice guy. And I'm never changing for anybody. Not for anybody. There's no point. Be yourself. you got it. If you're not yourself, you're false. Peace and love, always. <laughs> Vaughan Stanford, thank you so much for joining us here on the Reset Rebel podcast. It's a pleasure. I hope I don't sound like too much of a wanker. Reset Rebel. <laughs>